Sometimes faith can feel as cold as winter, and it can look as dark as winter too. I grew up in the cold in Wisconsin, so I understand being physically cold. But I also understand being spiritually cold, feeling distant from God because of depression, because of sickness, because of friends dying. I feel distance from God often, and I used to fight those feelings, but now I embrace them, and I sit with them. Winter Faith has become my new home. So I created the Winter Faith Podcast because sometimes faith feels like winter. But yeah, you're right. So growing up in a evangelical light, as you described it, I like that description. It was no problem with like, of course, we didn't interview a woman pastor, like obviously. Like, right. Like, well, like you shouldn't even that be a man would be better suited for this job. Yeah. I, I bet mean, you should apply. And I was like, dad. And then the first woman that they hired was the youth minister who now runs the children's uh, program. And like mm-hmm. your only female pastor is the children's pastor. Right. And he just was like, huh? And I'm like, <laughs> like, you know, because they're not going to like say out loud like women can't preach but like just conveniently it doesn't have happen ever we find saying it out loud right well and in some ways that's a gift like Mm, i know that sounds crazy but like honestly and i think that this is okay so atlanta is like that i swear it's like the church planning capital of the of the world like everyone is called to plant a church in atlanta or has been in the last eight years Which I think is really interesting because I'm also like, oh, also we were like a super affordable city. So, hmm. But, Mm, okay, you know, and also we're real black and it was always white churches who wanted to plant here. So I think that's, you know, maybe something to be interrogated as well. Mm -hmm. But um, I say all that to say so many of them were like what I call sneaky Baptist. So it was like, they <laughs> Baptist, like they, okay. absolutely were. but the Southern Baptists are not stupid. They know it's not a good brand. Yeah. Their marketing is, I mean, so I grew up in Oshkosh, Wisconsin. There was a church called Oshkosh community church. Yes. That was the most popular church in the community. Um, definitely like when I'm trying to think of a band, like skillet came, mm-hmm. they performed at that church in the nineties. And then I got into the fine print. I'm like, oh, it's 100% supported by Southern Baptist Convention. Right, right. And so like, I went to, yeah, there was a period (laughs) of time where when we moved to Atlanta, like a long period of time, I mean, like eight years or something, me and my husband went to a Southern Baptist church that we didn't Mm -hmm. know it was Southern Baptist for a while. Okay. Uh, and would not have gone there. I wouldn't, I wouldn't have gone if I knew, but then like the people were so great again with my like really healthy church folks. They absolutely were like a second family to me and um, were, they were just great. And so I was like, well, we'll just like sort of deal with this, you know, like I was like, eh, we can just agree to disagree and that's fine with me. And it was until I felt called 
And then I was like, okay, so I have to like deal with this calling. So it's probably time to go. But the, the funny thing was that like all we were like setting up because it was one of those churches. It was like in a middle school auditorium. So we'd like set up, take down, whatever. So we're setting up and someone's jogging by and they were like, oh, what kind of church is this? And somebody like a pastor's wife Mm -hmm. was like, oh, we're not denominational. And I was like, that's not true. Interesting. But yeah, she was like, was she being intentional or she just didn't know or. I don't know. I mean, how do you not know? I think there's a lot of people that don't know. Like we just talked about this. But like her husband was working there. Yeah, but that doesn't. I mean, maybe. I don't know. I was like, we're Southern Baptist. And she was like, oh, but like, not really. And I was like. This this is real good because in your book you talk about which is your book out yet it will be out uh on tuesday out on tuesday so may 18th it comes out okay great book and you i just read the part where you said making a budget is a political theological moral document yeah so i'm not the i don't know i learned that at seminary that's like not a I learned it from your book and I that's from William Barber that said it right yeah I know that Dr. William Barber says it I don't I don't know if he was the first one to say it sure 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 but uh when I learned it in seminary I thought oh that's so true yeah budget is a moral document what do we value not what do we say we value right where's the money where does Uh, our money go yeah what do we value what are we paying to make sure we keep no matter mm, what? Right. Like those are really interesting questions and they're hard. Yeah. Those are hard questions because you can have a lot of words about what you value and you can have a lot of intention and feelings, but like money, mm-hmm. you know, like that, it really is like black and white number wise. I mean, look at our country. Yeah. Like if like we clearly would rather have a gigantic military than no homeless people. Right. Why is that so offensive to people when it's, as you just said, black and white, but me and you can say that and we're both like, yep. But, yeah. and we, and I feel, I don't think me and you are like, dummies like we understand what that means but for other people it's like well it doesn't really like our military is not really that big you know right I, I, that's always a tough one for me like well, this I is pretty like, easy to see well so it is really easy to see but we don't want to see it like yeah. uh, you know in my in the third part of my book I talk about like prophetic lament so public lament that is um meant to change the powers that be and really the only thing they do is like point stuff out or like look at this thing this thing is is not going away like um like yeah william barber is like actually we don't have to be poor actually we could totally afford to house everyone actually 15 dollars is a totally reasonable minimum wage and mm-hmm. you just keep saying that over and over and over again. And then finally, the president starts talking about $15 being a totally normal minimum wage. And so you yeah. can um, 
shift things because we are so good. Human beings can normalize anything. Wow. Anything. Yeah, sure. And so one of the ways that lament like works functions is to say like, whoa, 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 whoa. Maybe this shouldn't be normal. I hear you that it is, but it doesn't have to be. So like my right. freshman year of high school, Columbine happened. Yeah. And my kids now have like shooter drills. Yeah. A couple times a year. And it's yeah. just like, we think of it as normal now. And it's not, that is not normal. Yeah. I mean, having a, um, a daughter that's in elementary school and that goes through that. Yeah. And I was in eighth grade during Columbine. Yeah. It's, um, I mean, if I really sit with it, I will, you know, it'll break my heart that that is normal. Um, we're so desensitized to violence in schools or just in general. I mean, I think at this point, like just guns in general. Yeah. Like, we're just like, yeah, people have guns. Okay. We're the only country that thinks that. Right. That's yeah. nuts. We were watching a TV show on Netflix and it would take place in, um, I don't know if it was London, but somewhere around there. And it was like, the guy has a gun. And we were just like, does it? Like, if that was a TV show here, that doesn't mean anything. <laughs> like, right. nothing. That's okay. Right. He probably has four. Why doesn't he have 40? He only has one. Right. So. He has one gun. Hmm. <laughs> what could he do? Weird. Uh, I know that's so sad. Yeah. So your, your book, um, you talk about three different kinds of lament. Um, and I also, I wanted to know, we'll get into some details of, of stuff that I read that I really enjoyed, but the first off, I guess the question is what was there like a big event that caused you to write this book or what was kind of the, what's the origin story? Of, yeah, of so actually, I've been asked that a couple of times, and I'm like, what? And then I'm like, oh, <laughs> oh, okay. No, it's because I think of lament as um, normal. Like, I, the book is called You Can Talk to God Like That, because I always talk to God like that. I always have. And mm-hmm. so I was sick in high school, middle school and high school. I got really, really sick. And um, the doctors could not figure out what was wrong with me. Mm. Um, so from 13 to 17, I was really sick, uh, with what it turned out to be was fibromyalgia and I had no way of knowing or controlling it. I looked fine. All my tests were coming back fine. And while that was happening, um, my church was experiencing healing services where people were healed. Like that was a thing that was also happening. And I never got healed that way. And it was really hard. And it, and yeah, I was just, was like this earnest 16 year old who just like wanted to love God, but also was like hoping to go to school every day without feeling like crap. And so um, my mom asked me one day if I was mad at God. And I was horrified because I thought, oh, my gosh, she knows. Like, I'm not a good Christian. And I was like, yeah, I am. I'm really mad at God. And she was like, me too, Abby. I'm mad at God too. And that, like, 
gate just unlocked something in me that I think I was exhibiting like prior to that, but really gave me permission to just like be my whole self and always and anywhere. And so I am, and I was, and like at church I was, you know, and, and then as I became an adult, you know, people would be like, Oh, do you have any prayer requests? And I just hate like, if you're in a Bible study that you like know really well, you've been with three for years. I love prayer request time. But if y'all are just getting started, it just makes me want to die. Cause it's like, Oh, well, my friend could really use prayer for blah, 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 blah. But I'm just not like that. And so I would always be like, yeah, this work at week sucked. Mm-hmm. I hate it. I'm so angry. Blah, 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 blah. Like I just would say what I thought or say, what I needed. And I realized that initially it freaks people out, but my friend, we went to Bible study together for years. And then, uh, both of us ended up going to different churches and she was like, emailed me and was like, man, I need you in Bible study. Cause no one's willing to crack the surface. Right. She was like, if you're in the Bible study, we go deep because you do. So other people go with you. And, um, lament is so powerful it's so like just practically it's extremely useful it's like a great spiritual tool and as a pastor I just realized like oh they don't have this they don't have a tool like this like people don't know how to do this thing that I kind of do naturally and then like the more I learn about it the more I'm into it Yeah, there is something about lament that you lament and grief that it actually, people run away from it, but it actually is probably the greatest, and I don't know if it's the greatest, but it's definitely one of the greatest experiences and a sacred experience as a human. Yeah, like, I mean, it is deeply powerful. Yeah. Like, yeah. it's extremely powerful. And the other thing is, like, what other choice do you have? Like. Uh, I was, I don't know if this made it into the book or not, but there's like the going, I, I started calling my theology, like going on a bear hunt theology, <laughs> like that children's game, you know, yeah. like, can't go yeah. over it, can't go under it, can't go around it, gotta go through it. And like, right. y'all we're living on a bear hunt. Like, I hear you that you don't want to deal with that. You can't go under it, over it, around it. You, we got to go through it. So not to just promote myself, but um, my last sub stack that I just wrote was called grief slash a bear hunt. And yes. I talked about that. Yes, <laughs> I didn't steal because... it from you. No, it's so funny. <laughs> so yeah, it is. And I think just from my experience reading it, it uh, reading your book, um, I went through my own series of laments. Um, one thing I, I want you to kind of finish your story too about, about your journey, but just real quick, I, you know, you talked about your, your church growing up and how the minister pastor is still, you know, has kind of been the same person for a long time until you retired recently. Um, so that was very much my experience, both growing up at, you know, small church in the Midwest and um, yeah, my pastor, best friend, you know, know all his kids, he died of cancer about 10 years ago. And that really devastated me. And so when I think about grief, that's what I think about. So it's like, I was kind of going through that, 
like, man, to take that person away from your life 10 years too early or 20 years too early, he's only 62. It, yeah, it's, it's not fun to go through it, but you've got to go through it. You can't go around it and over it. Right. Gotta go through it. And I think that we really in our society do, um, like you're, we just do grief and lament such a disservice. Like you can grieve and lament like things, good things. Mm-hmm. Like I knew I needed to quit teaching. I wanted to quit teaching. I was accepted into seminary. They gave me a great scholarship. My husband was like, yes, definitely what you need to do. I was in a church that was like, yes, this is definitely what you need to do. We can be totally supportive of you. It was the right move. It was the thing I needed to do. I, that last week of school, when I was like packing up my classroom and realizing like, oh, no one is going to call me Miss Norman anymore. I cried every day. I just could not stop crying because like, that was a huge part of my life. That was so my teaching experience. Like I started teaching at 23 and I stopped teaching at 33. Like that's an incredibly formative time. And so of course it was like so hard. Even though I wanted to do it, it was my choice. You know, and it was so funny. Like the principal would like catch me crying. He'd be like, well, you can undo it. Like we haven't hired anyone yet. (laughs) It's like, no, I want this. And also it's sad. It can be both things. Yeah, we can hold more things at the same time. Yeah more than one emotion at the same time but it almost seems like he was trying to get you to escape your grief which I think we do a lot is we're just like well it'll be better tomorrow it's the right thing they're in a better place right get over it think about something else and like these are all perfect what have you heard that Sunday's coming it's Friday oh sure sure yeah good Friday now, but Sunday's coming. And I Sunday's always, coming. Yeah. I was thinking about that recently, this like idea that people say that because I learned this year, which I don't know how I've been a Christian for as long as I did and didn't know this, but, um, the crucifixion happened probably like not up high, but like, um, at eye level. Hmm. Okay. Okay. And so then if you think about that and you think about the story in John and where Jesus talks to his mom, right. right. Mm -hmm. And I just think like, even if people knew, how dare you tell Mary in that moment? Like, Oh, I know that this is really hard, but don't worry. Sunday's coming. Like, (laughs) Oh my gosh, shut up. (laughs) That's a great, that is a, yeah. I don't think about it being, being eye level. Mm-hmm. But that's different for me too. It definitely adds a more human element to it. You know, so when you go back to high school and you see these people being healed, but you're not being healed, you have this conversation with your mom. What, what's, what kind of happens at, after this conversation and into, into the rest of that journey? Well, she just like weeps with me. Mm. It's like, yeah, this is hard and we're going to be mad at God and that's okay. Mm. And there's totally space for that. And then we just kind of like muddled along. Like I got a lot of things under control with diet and like making sure sleeping 10 hours a night and doing that kind of stuff and getting qualified under disability. And Mm -hmm. we just like figured it out. (laughs) Yeah. 
and then at 26, at 26, I experienced a miraculous healing, which is, I probably, I was surprised I wrote about it in this book because I don't write about it very often. Mm-hmm. Um, for someone who is extremely uh, vulnerable and transparent on the internet, that is something I don't write about a lot. And it's not because I'm hiding it, but it is because uh, so many healing stories were used as weapons against me Mm. it would break my heart to know that someone was like oh well abby was healed so why can't you be healed right and and some of my dearest friends still to this day have like me or chronic fatigue syndrome or pots fibromyalgia something that's sort of like mysterious and you just kind of muddle along and manage it and they haven't experienced miraculous healing And I don't know why, you know, it's like, I don't have answers for any of that. Um, Like, I just know that I did have fibromyalgia and then I had a vision and now I don't have it anymore. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. One of the things that I wrestle with and I'm assuming maybe you do as well is, you know, Jesus didn't heal everybody when he came. He healed some people. Right. But then he left. So what do we do with that? Right. And then like the disciples healed some people, but not everybody. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And like, what do you do with that? And like, how do I hold the space? Like it would be when I went to a really liberal, not really liberal, but a like liberal progressive seminary. And Mm -hmm. so they love to talk about healing sort of like metaphorically. Okay. Sure. Sure. Like when we um, would talk about healing, when we would talk about how do you preach these healing texts, a lot of it was like, these are really powerful metaphors. And they are. They are very powerful metaphors. And also the thing that happened inside my body wasn't a metaphor. Mm -hmm. And I don't know how to put that together. And I think that's really good. So I am Wesleyan. I go to a Methodist church. Mm-hmm. Uh, my, theo- my theology is deeply Wesleyan. And one of the things that I think is so interesting about John Wesley is I'm convinced that he like built Methodism because he had an experience that he couldn't explain. Mm-hmm. Like his theology always has this like, oh, but also something mysterious is happening because he had this like, gate strangely warmed situation and so I really think that he always was like oh I can put every single thing into a a box and then he'd be like oh accept this Mm. and that's how I feel like I don't know I'm grateful I am grateful that I was healed of course I am that grateful is always going to come with but also you could do that to my friends if you wanted to Sure. Do you ever wish, hey, this would have gone differently for me, for yourself? I mean, like, yeah. I mean, like, we can say it's so funny. I guess I'm supposed to be just like nothing but grateful. But like, I almost passed out at my wedding because I was in so much pain. Mm. Um, Because I wasn't healed. So I'm like, okay, so why did I have to do that for 13 years? Like my whole teenage, early twenties, 
experience is like not tainted. I don't want to say tainted, but is colored by I'm in pain all the time. I'm Mm -hmm. taking time off of work. I don't feel good. I'm throwing up in my classroom because I'm literally so exhausted. Mm. Like all of that. Yeah. Those are supposed to, you know, those are the best years of your life, according to some people. Right. I'm really looking at retirement personally. Um, but yeah, yeah. Like, wait a minute, you know, like, yeah. High school is supposed to be, you know, your senior year. Right. Well, like I had to stop playing in the marching band. Mm, I I couldn't carry the drums. Mm, Yeah. And like, I don't know, like I was on the speech team in high school and college and at all the college national tournaments, I passed out at some point. It's like, I wonder if I could have done any better if I wasn't die, like feeling like death all the time. Mm. So it just is, and I'm fine. Like it's, a, it's, I've grieved it, but I also think people were just like, wanted me to just be grateful. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, I accept what you've been given. Don't try to change it. Be grateful yeah. for what you have. Rejoice and, it and be did, glad. Like, it a hundred percent made me more compassionate. Mm-hmm. It definitely sure. made me a better teacher. I can navigate the public school system and invisible disabilities like someone who has a degree in it. Mm-hmm. And I was really able to advocate for my students well. So I do. I'm not saying like, like there are always gifts that come out of stuff like that. But like, if you're going to ask me, if that's like enough, I'm like, I don't know, man. Right. Yeah. I mean, to go through pain all those times when you're young and then to ha- like, it's almost like sometimes in church, we, I mean, you talk about this, we're just so dismissal of hard, you know, hard things and difficult things. So we choose not to think about them, you know, death being one of them. Um, and so this idea of, you know, lament is something we really need in our culture. And I think your book does a really good job of, of, of showing that, that kind of church has really gone all in with culture when it comes to lament. Right. And I, I don't think we've tried to differentiate ourselves very much. Yeah. But like something really interesting is happening. I think like in our culture. And it, like the internet, I think really like broke open some stuff. I think the pandemic did as well. Mm-hmm. Like one of the things that I think is so fascinating is that one of the new businesses that's coming out of the pandemic is what they call smash rooms. And it's where like you and your friends go into a room that has sledgehammers and breakable stuff. What? And you like, yes. Huh. And, and you like break it because it feels good. I'm like, wouldn't it be great if you showed up at church and they were like, this week as worship, we have a stack of plates that we found in the basement that we're never going to use again. (laughs) Yeah, you know, stand behind this line and go for it. Mm. I think people like, I'm like, I need some of that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I do. Yeah. So anger is definitely one of those things. We need some kind of release. and, and, And I'm glad that you have had this story where, hey, your mom says, are you mad at God? 
because I think there's so many people that they don't have permission to be angry mm-hmm. at God. And then for whatever reason, we ignore like half the Bible. I know it's not half the Bible, but a lot it's of the Bible third, that it's is pretty angry. Third. Yeah, a solid third. Yeah. Um, where people are angry and God's fine with that. Right. And sometimes even responds to that anger in a way that the person wants them to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, so you have anger. And then I think the other one is like being able to cry, being able to show emotion. I think yeah. um, it's a little bit acceptable for like um, white woman tears, you know, yeah, are fairly but you acceptable. have to like cry a certain way. at certain Okay. Times. Yeah. Tell me about and, that. And you have to be like quiet. And I am like the, I'm like an, I don't do anything quiet. Like I don't do anything halfway. So like, you know, I feel like you're allowed to like sit there as the tears run silently down your face. Mm-hmm. Okay. But like, that Quiet. does not do it for me. That's not how it happens for me. I turn red. I'm like, <gasps> like I am snotty. Like it's a mess. It's a mess. And I, yeah, I've had years of my life where I've just like every single Sunday I cried because mm-hmm. I just needed to. Do you think you talk about um, mom wine culture? Yeah, wine, wine as in the drink wine. Yeah, and um, is there is there crying in the mom wine culture? Yes, but you have to like think it's funny too. You have so to like think it's funny. Wine, okay, mom wine culture is like there are so many. Like if you just like Google mom and wine. Mm-hmm. There are like t-shirts, there are mugs, there are wine glasses, there are whole brands of wine that are called like mommy juice, mommy timeout. Sure, sure. Mommy break, like all this stuff. And it's like, okay, so our society has made motherhood so impossible. But we're not allowed to say that because we're supposed to be grateful. So instead we joke about how we joke, even though it's not a joke mm-hmm. about how we have to get drunk to make it through the day. So you're kind of criticizing the fact that we've made light of it. Yeah. Is I that mean, right? Okay. Yeah. I think that it's like, you know, it's like a 17 layer burrito. So it's like we, the expectations for motherhood mm-hmm. are ridiculous and they have continued to be ridiculous and they continue to like grow while our society has pulled support from motherhood. So right. like, I don't have grandmas who live near me who can help me out. Mm-hmm. I don't have those things and very few. And even if you do have those things, often your mom is still working because mm-hmm. she has to, because capitalism, because minimum mm-hmm. wage is $7 an hour still or whatever, mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. Uh, child care is not um, subsidized. Like all it's, of those, all yeah. of those things, all of those societal things. Right. And then instead of like fixing it, looking at our moral budget, looking at our budget and being like, oh, we don't actually value mothers. Like if Mm -hmm. you look at the way that America subsidizes things, they do Mm -hmm. not value mothers. Right. And then when it's really, really hard 
and you're like, this is so hard. I am so tired. I have never been this tired in my life. I cannot keep doing this. The solution is to be like, but I'm so grateful and mothers are, you know, I'm, I'm going to mother my way through it. Uh, Mm -hmm. and I'm going to drink a bottle of wine. Hey, I mean, we, up. You, you have Mother's Day, so I mean, you're good. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, what do you think the church can do? You know, I, I feel like I can't solve the government, but I can be a part of the church. You what can, can the church do? You can let people tell the truth. Mm, okay. You can let people tell the truth. So like, okay, one of the things that I do quietly at church, this is like my standard operating procedure. When a woman has a baby... I slip her a message that says very, well, first I ask, I say, if you don't mind me asking, do you, are you planning on breastfeeding? Mm -hmm. And then if she says yes or no, yes. Then when she has the baby, I just tell her within 24 hours of her having the baby. Hi, uh, my kid wouldn't latch and it was horrible and traumatic. And if you Mm -hmm. need me to come over at four o'clock in the morning to show you how to like make a nipple shield or to tell you that like formula is totally fine or whatever, please ask me because Mm. I didn't have an idyllic experience and I hope you do. But if you don't, here's my phone number. I mean, that issue, I think there's not too many that have an ideal experience when it comes to that. Well, let me tell you, if you Google it, it doesn't work out for you. It's like, People say the dumbest things. They're like, it's natural. It just happens naturally. I'm like, uh, you're acting like nature isn't awkward and weird. And so, yeah, like, like that kind of stuff. Like, I think that you can, well, I think the church could do a lot. Just like, like, do you have people, like, do you have retired people who could like, seriously make a meal a week for your working moms because it's exhausting do you have you know like just like that kind of support um in the second chapter of i think it's in the second chapter in one of the chapters of my book (laughs) i talk about um community and you should just like make a list of like what can you offer and what do you need (laughs) and like i would love for any i mean any church to be like hey moms you seem like statistically you're completely overworked what could you what do you need and then like are there retired people in your community that could offer that could the church like pay them something could you um you know like very many people it's a gift actually to let them hold your baby like oh yeah and and as a as a especially as a new mom it's like very confusing Cause like, I didn't, I mean, I would go to church every week as a new mom, just so I didn't have to hold the, I had an hour where I did not have to hold the baby. Mm-hmm. My babies were just like passed around. I'm, you know, like they mm-hmm. were like, like I would walk into church and somebody would like pluck my baby out of my arms. And then I would like drink hot coffee, talk to grownups. And then <laughs> at the end of the church, like somebody would like return the baby to me and it was like but it was very small and this was like a totally safe thing to do I don't yeah sure sure like well I mean I think you're right there's just a lot of practical things just so um we had a son two years ago and um going through a lot of stuff that 
that you talk about in the book. I mean, laundry service, it's pretty awesome. I don't know if you've ever, if you have ever had a laundry service, but that is the greatest thing ever. If you are able to have a church that does that, which we don't, but that would be, I mean, and we only have two, we only have two kids. So for people that have more than two kids, like the amount of laundry you do, which is uh, maybe it's a boring podcast, but I feel like I could talk about this a while because no, it's but amazing. I just felt like my sister has five kids. Yeah. And I'm like, if somebody did her laundry, she could do so much for the church just to like handle it. But also like, I think when you said laundry service, so uh-huh. my second year of grad, yeah, my second year of seminary, halfway through seminary, I um, ended up pastoring a church because I, my district superintendent called and you say, no, you don't say no to that man. And so I was like, yeah, I can do that. And then like within a month we realized like my esophagus broke. So I could not eat solid foods like the entire second semester. Guy was on a liquid diet. And one of the best gifts that my friend gave me is she like waltzed into my house she sat my kids down. My youngest, I think was in kindergarten or first grade. She was like, all right, this is Elizabeth camp. And at Elizabeth camp, you learn to do your own laundry. And she like put them on Amazon and was like, pick out your, what hamper do you want? Like, let's this make this your thing. Here is one of those foldy things. This is how you use it. Like, mm-hmm. anyway, she put my kids on their own laundry duty. And it was like such a gift of community also because like, man, if you can get somebody who's like a little bit younger than you and childless or child free, Uh child free is great because then like they don't even want kids, but who are like cool with your kids, like auntie energy, like my kids will do anything for these women and and they won't do it for me. Right. But like, because Elizabeth asked them to, it's like very cool. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. So she like had laundry camp at my house and her system worked so well that me and my husband put ourselves on it. Yeah, that sounds pretty smart. Yes. <laughs> it really does. Right. I have but to look I, into this laundry camp. Right. But I like am horrible at systems. Yes. I'm not good at Same. them. Same. But she's great at them. So like, why doesn't she just do that? You know? And then I'll do other stuff and we'll work it out. And she lives down the street from me. And so actually that, that, uh, and she's chronically ill. And so she doesn't drive anymore. So that has worked itself out. It's like, I drive, I have a really flexible schedule. I drive her some places and she, you know, makes my kids do things that I don't want to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. It's so, yeah, those are some ideas that church can do. When you look at this book, um, you might, I'm sure you've been asked this on other shows too, but who, who's the audience for this book? Who did you write this book for? Um, I think I always am directing the book towards the church and my broadleaf editors were really encouraging me to not do that. Really? How come? Uh, Cause they're like more people than just people who see themselves in a church community. Okay. Yeah. Uh, But I, I mean, like I was raised in the church and I love the church and I'm a pastor. And so like, I'm always kind of talking to the church. Mm-hmm. Um, but really, I also am just like talking to people who are like, this isn't working for me anymore. Mm-hmm. I 
I once could like just close my eyes and trust or believe and receive. I can't do that anymore. And I don't want to lose God and I don't want to lose Jesus, but like the way that I'm doing this is not working. Are there other faithful ways? Hmm. Yeah. So you have held on to church, you know, you're still working at, at a church and um, have there been times. So one of the things I try to ask on my podcast is I call it like winter faith, but just times where you feel like maybe really emotionally sad, or you just had seasons or moments where you really doubted the, the goodness of God or the closeness of God. Have there been moments of, of that for you? Um, I have doubted the goodness of God. I have never doubted the closeness of God. Okay. Um, Yeah. But yeah, like I, there were so many things I wanted to call the book that they were like, no, like seriously, God, or like WT, I really wanted to call it WTF God. And they were like, you, we cannot sell that. (laughs) I was like, okay, but it's a good idea. And they were like, "Mm mm-hmm we're not doing that. And I was like, okay, fine. Um, yeah. So like the whole thing was, sorry, my sister just beeped. Um, the whole thing was just like, like there, of course there are times when you're like, you've got to be freaking kidding me. So for example, I tried to get a book deal for 10 years. Hmm. I was like solidly uh, got interest, lost interest, found somebody, they went bankrupt, hmm. uh, like just <sighs> was agented, unagented, like just, okay. It was, it was a lot of work for a long time. So I get a book deal and then I write the, have to write the whole book in a pandemic And then, and then in that pandemic, um, my mom (laughs) breaks her arm because my dad falls on her because we didn't know they were, he was having like some health problems. They both end up at the hospital and then she calls and is like, hi, for the first time ever, my mom is like the most capable person I know in my whole life is like, I... I need help. Well, my one sister has infant twins and my other sister has five kids and her husband was working in public. And so that was not safe. And so, um, like just the whole thing. And then we got bed bugs. Yeah. I I remember that part from the book too. So I had to clear the bed bugs before I could drive 12 hours in a pandemic to help my mom who is in a cast because she can't shower while my dad's in the hospital because he like keeps having these episodes. We can't figure out what's wrong. Mm. And I really am the last one who would be able to help, but I'm the first one because of the weird pandemic circumstances. Mm. Are you seriously God? Mm-hmm. You can't give me a freak. You couldn't have avoided the bed bugs. <laughs> like, could I have a tiny break? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. So yeah, there are times when I feel like that. Do you feel like this has stretched the pandemic has been the most difficult, um, I guess, season? No. No. Okay. 
<laughs> are um, we doing on time? No, you're fine. Uh, we should probably wrap up, but I also okay. just like um, overscheduled myself because that's who I am as a person. Um, <laughs> no, I would say the pandemic for my family actually has been pretty good. Mm. Um, a lot of it is the kid age. So, sure, sure. but I had two under two while my husband was in PhD school and I was teaching full-time at a high school mm. an hour and a half away from my house mm. and that I used to fantasize about sleep. Yeah. I was exhausting and my, neither of my kids slept well. Like the idea that people have like kids are like, yeah, it's hard for the first three months. I'm like years, three years. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, it was like me and my husband would get into fights because we would be like, it would be like 2 a.m. And he'd be like, I already, I already got up with the kids twice. And I'd be like, yeah, so did I. And we would be like, what? And we believed each other, but it's like two in the morning and we're tired and surely it can't be my turn again. Yeah. So like that, that was super hard. Thanks for listening to this show today, everybody. I just want to give a few shout outs. Today's music, the one and only Josh Cleveland, today's artwork and all the Winter Faith, artwork and digital design, Dominique Montaigne. The intro was done by Scarlet Fox, and I am just grateful to be creating and editing this podcast. My name is Andy Frazier. Find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at The Winter Faith Podcast. Subscribe, subscribe on all those platforms and also we are on patreon if you would like to support the show and also leave a review on itunes at the winter faith podcast thanks for listening and we will see you next week